Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. I hope you're well. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, today, it's me, Chris, from Lace Partners. Today, I am going to be talking with our managing director and co-founder, Kathy Akritopoulou, about understanding the change impacts of a HR transformation. And simply because uh, I love to also have her on, and I haven't had her on for absolutely ages, I've got Rachel Mawson uh, from the team as well, who's our senior manager and a change specialist. And Rachel's currently on mute because she kept giggling before we even went live today. So Rachel, you're right. Hello, Christopher. How are you? I'm very good. And Rachel has already slapped me on the virtual wrist, but because last time we actually did a pod on the HR on the Offensive podcast was oh, coming up to it like a year ago now. And we were in the office back in the old days. And I plied her with wine and we talked about digital adoption platforms. We've got a slightly different topic today and uh, unfortunately there's no wine, but uh, I'm sure uh, if the need uh, suffices, you'll just reach behind you and grab a glass, even though it's the afternoon. I thought you were just sick of my dulcet Kiwi times. Never. Um, right. So, as I said, what, what we want to talk about today is uh, understanding the change impacts of a HR transformation. I think the best place to probably start with that is you know uh, Kathy I'll go to you first is talking about you know what we mean with regards to HR transformation and how we actually work with clients so do you want to just sort of frame that for us? I do Chris and good to see you again um, <laughs> right so HR transformation what do we mean so in the context of what we're going to be discussing today I think um, it's fair to say that when we talk HR transformation we're going to talk about change impacts Effectively, what we mean is wholesale change of the HR function to improve efficiency and effectiveness. And that's typically if we're talking about large scale change, because we're really shifting the operating model, i.e. the way it's structured in terms of maybe centralizing shared services, fundamentally changing the roles within the HR function or the services provided or both and or the implementation of HR systems. OK, so that's probably change around the core HR system, maybe some vertical systems to, to really drive the employee experience. But in the context of today, let's assume that we're talking about both organisational change and systems change, because that will give us the, the broadest range of change impacts to consider today. OK, cool. And so why are HR transformations so complex, I guess, is the first sort of question that, that we should really look at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Rach, I know you've been involved in many, so um, please do jump in on this one. But but certainly from my perspective, um, HR transformations can be pretty complex. And, and the reason why, compared to maybe transforming a finance function, is that ultimately you are you are affecting, impacting every single member of the workforce um, and often not just the employees, but the contingent workforce as well. So in effect, you you are asking employees and line managers and leaders within the organization to do things differently and things that matter to them, right? Things around their own management, their own uh, employee data, for example, things about how they manage their teams or things about how they plan their workforce requirements over time. So you actually have a really broad range of impacts across every single member of the workforce. Clearly, you're also impacting the HR workforce as well and, and every aspect of that, whether that's 
HR administrators, payroll is often in scope and it may well sit within HR, it might actually sit in finance in some organisations, but typically it's in scope in some way. And also then right through to your centres of excellence um, at group level, you know, your talent acquisition, talent management functions, for example, and specialists in that area that operate within the business, plus, of course, your HR business partnering function as well. So you've got a really broad range of roles that, that touch and affect and provide services to the business um, across the whole entity. And then I think also there's the fact that all the access channels may be changing, you know, how much you're digitising the experience, who people will go to for their HR support may be changing. Um, so there's quite a lot of change to consider. But Rach, I know you've been part of a lot of HR transformations. Um, you know, they are pretty complex, I think, and the, and the nature of the change, therefore, can be really, really um, complex to handle. Yeah, definitely. Just couple that with change management being, you know, a contact sport in general and um, people go through their own change curves no matter what it is. So when you're touching everyone, You've got a lot of different impacts to consider, a lot of different perspectives to consider. So yeah, it's it's lots of fun. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so what are the typical sort of impacts then that are, that result from you know uh, things that HR directors will think of or that they won't think of? Yeah, well, Rach, do you want to maybe start talking about personas because I think that will help us sort of think about how we frame our change impacts. Yeah. And I think um, particularly with HR transformations, and Cathy, I know that you are really hot on this as well, um, is often HR transformations can sometimes be a little too inwardly HR focused. And actually what we need to make sure is that we are really aligned to what the business is getting. So then from a business persona perspective, what we're really talking about are business leaders so your senior leadership across an organization at a global region market level you're also talking about your line managers or your people managers so how are the organizational changes in hr maybe going to impact the people managers from the point of view of who they might contact where they might go to for support and then you also have your employees who may in fact be touched to a lesser extent, but if we're talking about an HR transformation that has wholesale technology changes, then you could fundamentally be changing the way an employee um, books their time off, gets paid, all the really important things to an employee in an organisation and all the things you really have to get right from an HR perspective and from a credibility perspective. When we think about uh, HR personas, you often have them in kind of their subject matter or practice areas. So, for example, you have your HR business partners and or HR generalists. You have your centres of excellence or centres of expertise, like Kathy mentioned earlier. And you also have your shared service people so whether you have you're introducing shared services or whether you have existing shared services that in fact you are changing in some way and then of course you often also have a number of kind of personas around the edges that you always need to consider for example legal IT finance um, because often within organizations those enabling functions are 
are fairly integrated. So HR transformation will often impact them in some sort of way. And I think also, Rach, you know, it, that those will be our sort of core personas. Absolutely, we would look at for any organisation and, and certainly, you know, recommend anyone listening to sort of consider when they're going through HR transformation. But then every different organisation will have different lenses through which they look at those personas, which may mean that there may be a need to manage the change differently for, for different parts of the business. So the, the classic ones that you might overlay on top of that, if you like, are things like geographies. Um, so if you're a global business or an international business, you know, what, what would you need to do differently if you were talking or, or affecting change in France versus the US, for example? If, if you were talking about your business divisions, um, you know, where there may be very fundamentally different ways of working, they may be doing very different types of work. You know, again, what would you need to do differently to manage the change successfully within that different environment? So there's there's different nuances that you would bring to those persona that, that are related to effectively how to manage the change in the right way to a, a drive long-term adoption that you would sort of overlay on on that sort of core set that Rachel's run through that are more sort of role-based. Mm. Can I just ask a quick question? Is there a danger ever of organisations just creating too many personas and therefore it almost becomes really, really difficult to manage? Because yes. you guys talk about personas from a HR perspective, from a marketing perspective, I talk about buyer personas, obviously that's externally facing. And one of the challenges that I've seen in previous businesses that I've worked at is organizations create so many personas that it's almost like, well, you know, I don't even know how to map out my strategy. <laughs> yeah. You've developed so many personas that I don't even know which direction to turn. So is it's, that it's something a, that is similar to a challenge? It's the same really as this is in the video because Kathy and I are both just grinning at each other, knowing <laughs> smile. I, I think I think the answer is yes, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that does crop up. I think you have to challenge yourself about the purpose of having a persona set. Right, yeah. the purpose of having a persona set in the context of an HR transformation is to help you to understand either the fact that change is impacting that persona group differently, i.e. that they are experiencing things in a different way, will have different concerns, will have different questions, will have different experiences as they go through the change, and or the channels through which you manage the change and the way you manage the change needs to be different. So the only benefit of having persona sets in there from an HR transformation perspective is because you're going to treat those people differently in some way as you go through the HR transformation journey. But Rach, yeah. I, know, I know it's something and, that comes up often, right? Yeah, and I actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with a global organisation at the moment and, and, you know, we've had this debate as a change team because we have stakeholder groups and we have personas. Now, our stakeholder groups at the moment do need to be managed to a more detailed degree because we have different things we need to communicate with them, different messages at different times. But our persona groupings can be at a larger level. Now, when you're working with a big global organisation, obviously at a, at a global level as a change team, we can advise and guide and create a global set, but you will always need to do a localization exercise with a market to, to make sure actually, A, you haven't missed anything for them, and B, make it super relevant to them and not just have a global team enforcing something that effectively needs to be managed well locally to actually successfully embed change. And, and I think, you know, 
as part of HR transformation, and if Emily Onis is listening to this one, she'll be jumping up and down and screaming at her phone to say it's about experience design. <laughs> and, and it is absolutely about experience design when it comes to personas. I think you know, what we're trying to say here is that when you look at your audience group, if you like, from, from an HR transformation perspective, when you're designing the target experience, the target service offering, what it's going to look and feel like, you need to think personas, as in how would we differentiate the experience for our different user groups, customer groups within the organization. And at the same time, you'd start with those personas to say, how would we manage the change in a different way? But all we're saying is from a change impact assessment point of view, what you're trying to understand is where do I need to differentiate the change management approach that I'm taking based on the personas? Okay, so you're, you're using them for the experience design and then challenging yourself from a change impacts point of view as a result. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, you know, you're trying to keep it simple, I think, Chris, but at the same time, make sure that therefore, because you're differentiating, you get a, a better long term outcome. But I mean, when I think about it from the perspective of, of the, the companies and clients that I'm working with, for example, there is a situation where we have at least three different types of employee personas because we have manufacturing workforce that is situated basically in, you know, warehouses and have limited access to technology. We have a sales workforce that are on the road and super mobile enabled. And then we have good old office workers like us who are often the easiest ones to to plan for because in most circumstances, they're fairly technology savvy. They have email, they have a laptop. Yeah, so you can end up with I don't know, you can end up with a few differentiations, but it is worth it from yeah. a change perspective. Yeah, but you don't have to map every single employee, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. You're, trying to, you're trying to group for meaningful reasons. You know, you're doing it for a reason rather than, than just to differentiate uh, for the sake of it. I think it's maybe worth also dwelling on for some of those core personas that we talked about earlier that Rach was describing the nature of the change, because I think, you know, bringing that to life will help, help uh, hopefully our listeners just, just understand the, the complexity. So if I, you know, I, I often talk about line managers, I won't get my... <laughs> I knew you were going to start here. Exactly. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite topic, people managers. Um, but but actually, they're, they're to me the toughest part of the HR transformation, um, because quite often for, for a line manager, there may be a degree of cynicism involved in an HR transformation, particularly if you're looking to digitize and move people to manage a self-service. And, and also, you know, you may well be asking them to do more of what they would consider to be, in quotes, HR's job. Right. So ultimately, the people manager population can be the toughest part of, you know, getting people across the line and bought into HR transformations. And so the sort of questions they may be asking is, well, why why do I have to do things differently? It was working perfectly well before. Um, why are you asking me to do more? Isn't that your job, HR? You know, how, how you're asking me to use technology that I haven't used before. I'm, I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to manage my team effectively unless I really understand the tech, for example. I might be sceptical about the fact that the people that I've always interacted with in HR were physically in my office, right? They, I could see them or they were on my manufacturing site. There was someone I always spoke to. You're now asking me to ring someone or, or use a chatbot. You know, why is that an improvement for me? You know, why does that might make my life easier? 
and I might be doubtful about the fact that the tools you're giving me to use, you know, may not work, may not have decent data, and, and it may be the first time I'm seeing information on my team, and it may not look right. You know, there may, there may be some data cleanse issues there that mean that I'm instantly skeptical or nervous about the reliability of the tool. It may not be the tool that's the issue; it might be the data underlying it. So that line manager population group is a really, really hard group to a hard nut to crack, basically in terms of getting them on board. But you have such a huge dependency on them as an HR function for the, for your success and the success of the HR transformation. I would never underestimate how much effort and time needs to go in focusing on that population alone to get them over the line. But Cathy, don't you think that <laughs> jumping on Emilionis's favourite topic that if we are designing for experience. You know, we work with companies that have real life line manager, people managers in those experience designs that we can we can alleviate some of those concerns that you talk about. Absolutely, Rach. And, and that's exact. But that's exactly the point, right, that unless you acknowledge that that's where they may be coming from and really listen to those concerns and then actively manage it you're going to have a cynical group of individuals who who may not get on board. And so all I'm saying is that let's be clear on the questions that our line managers are likely to have, and then let's actively manage our solutions in a way that firstly, it does make their life easier in that they may be asked to do more, but it's through easier channels, quicker access to, to, to more relevant data. And secondly, that, that we are addressing those challenges head on, right? Let's not ignore them. Let's be honest about it. It may feel like we're asking you to do more, but this is why. This is the, the broader context. This is what, you know, where we're heading as a business. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't underestimate, as I say, the effort required to do that. And that, that as a group, it's, it's the one that I think deserves a lot of attention as you go through a nature transformation. I have to say though, I have seen it. I have seen it be managed particularly well in in an instance where you know that age-old self-service and doing HR's job for them, or line managers in particular. I've seen it work well where it's sort of managed in a in a bit more of a two-stage process or implementation. And what I mean by that is you introduce the new new technology, for example, and you prove the value in the way of working. And then you gradually start to increase what you ask line managers to take on more of. Yep. And I don't know, maybe it was just happened to coincide with um, the pandemic hitting and the launch of this new tool with one of our clients and people going there because that's where pandemic information was. But I, I saw it work particularly well because the sceptical people managers got the confidence that, you know, this technology did work, it was faster. And then they felt more comfortable to just take on more almost in stealth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely completely agree with you. And I think that's a really effective way of managing the change. You know, get 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 people used to it, comfortable with it, particularly the new systems, especially if they're shifting from maybe speaking to a an HR generalist who might be physically with them as opposed to, to doing things remotely. You know, do do that you know, one step at a time. Don't don't necessarily flick the switch and expect everything to shift overnight. Absolutely. And the same with employees, right? If we think about employees, what are they most motivated or what, what would motivate them most to, to start doing things online? The ease of access for booking holiday, for example, is a good one. Or being able to view their payslip is another good one. You know, being able to, to look at their shift pattern for the next week or two. You know, if you get people bought into things that are really tangible to them and, and help them do that in a much easier way than they've done it before, then you're already already convincing them that this is the way to go. So it mm -hmm. is absolutely, you know, why why change 
and the change work stream in an HR transformation needs to be started early mm. and engaged through that experience design piece to really understand the best way of winning people over and getting people positive about the change that's coming and how you sequence the change, both in terms of, of messaging, but also the functionality that maybe you're releasing to, to get people across the line, you know, because from an employee point of view, you know, again, I might be nervous about losing my local HR contact and, and you know, maybe I'll be sceptical that the, the support I'll get remotely if we're moving to shared services, for example. They may not know me. They may not understand me. They may not be able to mm-hmm. give me really tailored help like mm-hmm. the person that I always spoke to right, in HR. So there's ways, again, of, of trying to manage, again, acknowledge those questions, and but manage them actively and think about the challenges, therefore, about when you're doing that experience design about addressing those concerns. But but I think there are some ways with the employees, as I say, of providing functionality that will make their life easier from day one yeah. and getting them across the line. But, but the business leaders are, are an interesting one, right? Because ultimately, you know, the, the business leaders primary interest, apart from the fact that they are also line managers and employees, right? So all of what we've just talked about applies to them anyway. But on top of that, you've got the scenario there where they're the ones who are probably already have an HR business partner who's supporting them in some way. They may well have a business partnering relationship. You know, so so as a result of the HR transformation, you may be reducing the number of business partners on the assumption that that you're going to be making efficiencies elsewhere in HR, for example. Or you may be expecting those business partners to really focus in on the more value add aspect of their role and do less of the transactional activity. So, you know, the challenge with the business leader is sometimes shifting their expectations of what their business partner is there to do. Mm. in a way that they they change their expectations and provide more of a sort of pull on the services from the business partner but at the same time complementing the business partner with the capabilities and support that they will need to let go of things that maybe they have owned previously that that will now be done elsewhere or be digitized and focus in on the things that that are the sort of the challenge aspect of their role their people consultant type aspect of role mm-hmm. You know, and then again, that both that business leader and the business partner aspect can be quite a difficult shift to achieve as well. And would you say, though, I certainly from my experience, the HRBP capability piece is often, I wouldn't say it's missed, but it's probably not as comprehensively planned as it should be, because to your point, you're talking about a business leader perceiving a shift in their capability to help the business leader feel more comfortable with this change I don't know it it feels like it's maybe not an afterthought but it's not always thought of as part of an HR transformation let's be blunt Rach it's often not in the budget right so Mm -hmm. when you look at the HR transformation (laughs) the numbers may not be in there to provide proactive support to the business partner population Mm -hmm. you know there may be an expectation that the existing learning curriculum if there is one for the HR business partner will suffice Mm -hmm. and actually it may not Right. There may be a need to invest in mm. in both upping the, the ante on the business partner capability set and the people manager to some extent as well. Right. So mm. so it's rare to come across a an HR transformation program that has the adequately budgeted both from a resource and a spend point of view in serious sort of capability uplift for people managers and business partners. But, you know, that we know those two things are big dependencies on the overall success of the program. Yeah, uh, and certainly would be on our list of sort of lessons learned, I think, in terms of of ways of really focusing in on what will make the difference. You know, how many HRDs do we talk to who who question the value that they've got or, or the return on investment just from a pure systems implementation in HR? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a common conversation. You know, the business case that we put out, the investment case we put out, 
talked about these sort of shifts in behavior. It talked about shifting accountability. It talked about uplift in people management capability. Um, and the system won't do that for you. Right? It's yeah. a leveler, but it's not going to deliver that change for you. Yeah. So actually, you know, recognizing that at the beginning of an HR transformation and building that in is yeah. one of the critical success factors, certainly from, from our experience that we would be recommending to our clients. And also, I guess, from a business leader perspective, you know, a, the, often a big win for them is the people analytics and the HR analytics yep. that they can get. And again, that often feels like one of the last things to be picked up or considered or thought through or planned or managed across transformations. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a bit like we said earlier, right? The things that will hook an employee early are things that matter to them to get them right and get them right early versus what would hook a business leader, you know, having a really reliable people dashboard for your team, you know, really powerful insights that you didn't have before. So that report design and the insight design needs to, again, be one of those early functionality releases to get them engaged. You know, so again, the role that change as a, as a work stream can bring to an HR transformation is being present in those experience design sessions so that you can really think about how I'm going to get these people over the line, right? How am I going to change behavior? How am I going to win hearts and minds? as you're thinking about the experience design and therefore at what, in what order you would release functionality and, and focus the energies on designing functionality for that end rather than what makes most sense from a sort of technology build perspective. Mm. You know, let, let's think from the experience and, and winning hearts and minds perspective. Yeah. Can I just ask a question? Um, we're just coming towards the, the end of the podcast day, but I just wanted to ask a question around can you give any kind of examples, I guess, for those people that are listening in as to when it's not done right? Uh, any sort of red flags that you you could leave people with as, as tidbits just for the uh, the last sort of couple of minutes of today's podcast? I don't know who wants to go first on that. Well, one. Can we turn that around, Chris, and talk about maybe some lessons learned? Yes, lessons <laughs> learned. All right, we can do that then. Go on, we've, got, we've got heaps of these, so we'll, we'll, we'll time box it, shall we, Chris? Because I know you want to keep it to time on the session. But Rach, go, go with one first and I'll see if I can think of another as you're talking as well. Lessons learned. So, you were going to put me on the spot. <laughs> so, change absolutely needs to be managed uh, locally. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, yes, often um, companies engage experienced people like Kathy and myself to come and work with them. But to really actually accept, believe, embed and continue on their change journey successfully, change the messages need to be delivered by local leaders, meaningful people, um, change plans need to be tailored to local circumstances for local personas. That doesn't mean they have to do it all themselves, but they need to take, you know, a global template or a global view and in, in, in consideration of that, apply the local circumstance to it. Yeah, and, and building on that one, um, I'd, I'd absolutely echo the point around the messages being business-led. I think, you know, it's it's um it is important for HR to stand up and explain what is happening, but it's it's sometimes more powerful for your own personal business leader, if I'm an employer or line manager in the business, to to stand up and explain what's happening and why, and why it's going to make my life easier, his or her life easier, and and better for the business. So so do this with a business voice, um, rather than messaging coming out from HR all the time. You know, with the best will in the world. 
you know, if, if you're prioritising what you're reading that day or you're prioritising what you're paying attention to, you're more likely to attend to your own business leader than you are the HR person responsible for your area. So, so let's make sure that those business leaders are front and centre in delivering the change messaging and believe it. Right? We need to get them so that they're doing this with genuine sort of belief in this being the right thing for the business. Perfect. Well, thank you both very much for coming on. Um, it's been really, really good to uh, to get your insight into uh, into all things change management. We will get you on again to talk about uh, change and adoption stuff. And Rachel, it won't be a year. Uh, until we drag Kathy and I drag you on again next time, kicking and screaming. But hopefully we might we might have uh, to provide have... wine next time, though, Chris, just to maybe, just to get her to maybe. commit. I mean, Chris, you didn't even need to talk in this. I don't know what you do. <laughs> <laughs> just Kathy and I. Wow! Did. Thanks for that. <laughs> on that wonderful note, um, we I love you, like Chris. Say, Thank you. We do. Thank you. We do. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, despite the uh, browbeating that I've just got from Rachel Morrison, who uh, once the uh, once the record button will hit stop, I will give an absolute pacing to, no doubt. But you can find this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and also on the Lace Partners website, which is at www.lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Uh, Rach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'll come okay. again. Great to have you on. Really, really good to see you again, Chris. And thanks, Rach, for all your contributions. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye.